You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 159. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. Oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy, oh boy. I've been waiting for this episode. I'm excited. So I got sparked to discuss how our minds are programmed. Even more so, I've been thinking about this episode for quite some time, and guess who came with show notes? So I don't go scrolling all over the place. Once I did the episode last week about alcoholism, right? An alcoholic. I'm an, I am in addiction recovery, or I am an alcoholic. Had a really great conversation with somebody at Recovery Dharma, who was who told me he's like, you know, I I will say that I have alcoholism, just like you wouldn't say I am cancer, you'd say I have cancer, right? I have alcoholism, right? It it can be an ownership of something that. Um, I know I have inside of me because clearly I have proven to myself that I can no longer drink. I can no longer use, right? There's no part of me that's going to be able to do that in a responsible manner, which absolutely makes sense to me. And I could embrace that and I can embrace that. And then I could actually see myself saying that I still love, I am in addiction recovery. It's one of the reasons I opened up the show with it. And I'll continue to say that, but if there was a conversation to be had around how I can begin to shift my own perspective on my desire to program my mind a certain way. I have alcoholism, certainly another opportunity to to embrace a different way of saying I am in addiction recovery, right? I have alcoholism. It doesn't necessarily say that my cancer is in remission, right? People whose cancer is in remission say I my cancer is in remission and everybody applauds. I am in addiction recovery. Everyone applauds. Not that you need the applause, but I can assure you that one of the greatest sensations I have felt <laughs> is getting up on stage and giving a presentation or a speech. And part of my story is that I am in addiction recovery. And to a T, you get applause. And I make a joke afterwards. I'm like, everyone should wake up to applause every single morning. It is awesome. And people laugh and they clap more. It's super cool. <laughs> I will not lie. It's super cool. I've done a lot of my my work internally in order to get to a place where I can be up on these stages and I can be sharing my story and I can be helping people heal. It's first and foremost my purpose in life to help people realize that it's in their own minds that they're creating their reality. Therefore, they're creating the life that they have. And if they can just begin to talk to themselves differently, if they can begin to ex- embrace the expansion of their self-awareness in order to notice when they're saying things to themselves that aren't beneficial, when the way that we were programmed as children begins to creep up and is continuing to create a life that we don't desire, to be self-aware enough to stop and say new choice. Today at Dharma, somebody, uh, he beats himself up a lot. He gets down on himself, have a lot of uh, desire to be able to be there for this gentleman as much as I can be as he goes through his journey. And when he said something like, uh, you know, I got to do better, I was just like, hey, let's quick little reframe. Um, I am learning. Instead of I got to learn or damn it, I got to learn how to do that better. It's just I am learning. 
We've talked about this, guys. It's gelling, right? We are growing and evolving through learning. And through that learning, we then apply, and then we evaluate our results. We tinker around with it a, a, a more, and then we apply it again until we get the desired result. It's honest, Honestly, it, it's a good metaphor. You're making muffins, right? I've, I've never made muffins before. I tried to make them in Oklahoma. Totally butchered the first batch. Long story short, I grabbed the confectioner's sugar instead of the flour, and I made all of these cupcakes with confectioner's sugar instead of flour. So when I put them in the oven and I went to go grab the, the confectioner's sugar out, I realized I grabbed the same container as I did when I thought it was flour. I had never baked my own cupcakes before. I grew and evolved through learning there is a difference between confectioner's sugar and flour. I applied the lesson, made a whole nother batch, evaluated the taste, realized could have added a little bit more sugar. Next time, that's what I did. It's the same thing with your life. You grow and evolve through learning. Then you apply, evaluate, apply, evaluate till you get your intended or desired result. It's very much like cooking. So as we dive into this idea about programming, I want to read a passage out of the Refuge Recovery book. And again, not pushing anybody's program on anybody. This is just the passage that was read tonight. I'm going to pull a quick little excerpt out of it. So let's step into this with an open mind. If you have any reason at all to want to reject a quick little passage out of the Refuge Recovery book, let's just embrace what's getting ready to be said and not necessarily judge the source. All right, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So in here, it says, The untrained mind, the natural state of human consciousness, has very little free will. We talk about free will, about freedom of choice, but without training the mind, we don't truly have the ability to choose. We are actually slaves to, or addicted to, the dictates of the past, of our conditioning, of our karma, our past actions. We don't have free will unless we bring mindful awareness to the moment-to-moment process of craving arising. Now, this particular passage was specifically about cravings, but I really want to make sure that we focus in on these particular lines here. We don't truly have the ability to choose. Uh, We are actually slaves to or addicted to the dictates of the past of our conditioning. Nothing is wrong with you. Nothing has ever been wrong with you. You have done some things that did led to absolutely undesirable results. I'm, we're not even going to get into that debate. But that doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. If we want to step into this idea, and again, not religious-based, just you know, more of like a higher state of consciousness, we are amazing, amazing creatures who have developed this ability to walk and talk and have conscious thoughts and the belief in a soul. And we're able to have thoughts that we then manifest into external items that we use to make our lives infinitely more enjoyable. I mean, come on, a world without air condition? Screw that. (laughs) A world without a refrigerator? I mean, come on, I don't even want to be around. If the zombie apocalypse goes down and I can't refrigerate some food, I mean, come on. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) let me die in the first wave. We are incredible. And because we're we're 
to me, it's almost like there's this divine energy within us, not religious based, just this divinity of we're all made of stars, right? The cosmic dust of the universe. It's just, to me, it just, it floors me how many things we don't even really know. We've set up beliefs around things that we want to believe strongly, but we don't really know what's on the other side, what created us. Belief systems be what belief systems are. Religion and spirituality be whatever it is. We don't truly know. We can believe super strongly, but we don't truly, without 100%, like we know the sun's going to come out tomorrow. We don't know a whole lot else. So what we do know about ourselves is often what we just perceive to understand about ourselves, but not truly ever having dove in to to really figure out where are these judgments coming from? Where are these patterns of existence coming from? Why is it that we behave the way that we behave? Someone at the Recovery Dharma shared this meme with me today, so I want to rattle it out to you real quick. Trauma in a person, decontextualized over time, looks like personality. Trauma in a family, decontextualized over time, looks like family traits. And trauma in a people, decontextualized over time, looks like culture. Now, let's just think about that for a quick moment. First, for any of you who are unfamiliar with decontextualize, it's to, to consider something in isolation from its context. Right? So if you were to take somebody's um, trauma and you take it out of context, it can look like their personality. When you take somebody's trauma in a family and you take it out of context over time, it can look like family traits. Trauma in people decontextualized over time can look like a culture. Uh, I brought this up with another person from Dharma. I swear, I, this is just literally like my favorite hour of the week sometimes. It's, as far as my recovery goes, I do backflips when I'm around these people. I just, it's just, just the energy is fantastic. And so many amazing ideas come for this podcast through attending these sessions with these amazing people. Um, a conversation I had with one of them recently was like, you know, when we think about trauma in a culture becoming a trauma in a, let's make sure I reread this really good trauma in people, like a, a society decontextualized over time looks like culture. Think about, um, if I were to say Irish or Russian, taking the whole Ukraine thing out of the conversation, because that's obviously fresh and on everybody's minds. But when I think about, think about the Russian culture, think about the Japanese culture, think about the Irish culture, what is one of the first things you think about one of their favorite hobbies? It's drinking. In fact, anybody who watches football, not our football in America, but worldwide football, generally, if you were to say hooligans, you think drunks, right? There's a lot of trauma in the Irish history. There's a lot of trauma in the Russian history. There's a lot of trauma in the Japanese history. And this trauma taken out of context looks like it's a cultural norm. Oh yeah, the Irish always drinking their old whiskey or always drinking their scotch. Right? Russians always drinking their vodka. Japanese, you know, they they it's crazy as Japanese love Kentucky bourbon. Taken out of context, it just seems like that's a part of their culture. But it's trauma from centuries of just so many things happening to the people that they're just, you think Russians, you think bread lines, you think downtrodden, but they it's, go back to the early thousands. I think it was like right around 900 something when the Kievanese first started to really 
turn that whole area into what we know of it now. I know a lot of history about that region because of the war. I've watched like four hours of YouTube on it. Anyways, wrap it up, Jesse. You're squirreling here. When we take things out of context, it can seem like personality. It can seem like family traits. And it can seem like cultural norms. But when we look at them within a context of what has created this behavior, we'll start to notice that over generations, programming, patterns of behavior begin to get passed down. And if we're not being self-aware of these patterns of behavior that have been programmed into us, then we are doomed to repeat them and then pass them down as traditions to the younger generations. Now, I've gotten some grief for talking about humans like we're computers, and I get it. We have souls. They do not. Even if we create a thinking AI, it will have at its core the programming a human placed in it. Whether it can grow into a thinking and feeling machine is a fun discussion to have, but the fact remains, it was first programmed. And from the programming, perhaps it could begin to learn something for itself. Humans are very similar. We are programmed by our parents, our family, society, our friends, television, the media. Literally 2.3 million bits of data fly at us every single second and our conscious mind can only organize 0.0006% of that. That's 126 bits out of 2.3 million bits flying at you. That is remarkably small. Remarkably small. So what that figure tells you, and again, don't get lost in the numbers because you can Google that. And Jack Canfield said 11 million and other people from Harvard will say 40 million. But whatever the big number is divided by the little number they give, it comes out to the same 0.0006%. That's inconsequential. Just understand that if I try to dump 2.3 million paper clips over your head and tell you to only grab out the desirable ones, 126 of them that are red, and as 2.3 million poured on your head every second, you're not going to be able to grab out all 126 desirable ones every second. Because a second later, I'm dumping another 2.3 million paper clips over your head. And this happens nonstop from the moment you are conceived in the womb. Your brain is taking in this much data. There's not a whole lot going on inside the womb, but I can promise you that crying that happens when they come out of the birth canal, it's more about the shock of what just happened to them than it is about needing air. That's my theory. I'm sticking to it. So let's get to this programming, guys. You have been programmed, and it's happening at all levels. Sure, we get to decide what tastes good, what smells good, what toys we played with, what we touch, how we reacted or responded to sounds, um, how we decide what we see and notice. Right? As a child, I don't know why my niece and nephew, one of them loves breakfast and the other one doesn't enjoy it. Why do they whisper when they want something and the other one wants to charge through a wall? Why is one shy and afraid of a, a, hand, a hand dryer in the pizza bathroom, pizza restaurant's bathroom, while the other one is like literally like trying to jump down the stairs. Not really sure like what conditions that into a child, but like these personality traits start to show themselves. But when they came out of the womb, there may have been some sort of instinctual preconditioning, you know, pre instinctual predisposition to behave a certain way because chromosomes and hormones and all that jazz. But everything that they do, they begin to record, they begin to see, they begin to try to figure out how do they get love, how do they stay in the tribe, oh, if I cry, I get fed, if I cry too much, I get sat down, they are paying attention to this, and their brain is attaching meaning to it, always attaching meaning to it, 
So yes, while a child taste buds will ultimately decide if they if they like you know guacamole or sour cream, right? We know that over time they can their taste buds can be reprogrammed. As a child, I could not stand cheese, and then somewhere around twelve years old, all of a sudden, I could not stop eating cheese. And here's the key: the levels at which we place an importance upon the inputs our five senses bring to us is very much matched, mirrored, and modeled off of our guardians, off of those who raised us, who was in our house. They became our idol. They became the people we looked up to for our safety, for our certainty, for our security, for the love, for the connection, for the significance, right? That's who mattered to us for those first very formidable years. Programming was happening the moment we came out of the womb. So if you're programmed to think strangers are dangerous, then you see danger. And if you're programmed to see avenues of safety when you see a stranger, then that is what you'll see. It's all based on the programming. Again, I have no idea why my niece and nephew are afraid of the hand dryer in the bathroom. Right? When was that programmed to them? I mean, could it be because of the noise? Could it be because of the way the air feels? Is it just loud? Like Because they're so young, they can't put it into words yet why it scares them. They just know that it scares them. I have a niece who is, like, loses her mind whenever she sees like a pony, whereas other people see a pony and they're like, yeah, let's ride the pony. We don't really know what's creating this in it because we don't understand. We know more about the bottom of the ocean than we know about the human brain. And we know more about space than we know about the bottom of the ocean. So we literally know more about a vastness that stretches beyond the possible thoughts that we can put around it. We know more about the Big Bang than we know about our own brain. And is it any wonder that when we start to talk about psychology and overcoming addictions and fixing and creating this more desirable version of ourselves, that we get hung up on these little things because we don't really know. Someone's like, Jesse, just tell me how to be sober. Oh, easy. Stop fucking drinking. Stop fucking using. Okay. Are you, are you good? No. No, you're not good. Because if that would have worked, we all would have stopped after the first blackout, after the first totaled car, after the first handcuff slapped our wrist. We'd have been like, oh man, this is not going well. I need to shift my behavior because you know what? Going in the clink, extremely hungover and listening to people snore all night sucks. I had a sweet ass buzz and now I'm in orange. This is not cool. But it didn't. It didn't shift us. In fact, I just learned better ways of not getting arrested. Not better ways to stop drinking, stop using. So what creates these kinds of behaviors in us? Where do we trace them back to? Is there a possible way to pull a thread and have everything come unraveling? Much of what we choose to be afraid of or confident about or what we choose to think we can do or cannot do is going to come from stuff that has been shown to us or repeated to us many times throughout our entire lives. It gets screwed into our brains so deeply that it takes time and it takes effort to release it. We didn't become alcoholics overnight. We didn't have we didn't just wake up one day like boop got alcoholism there we go. Right? It took years for our brains to start to get wired toward this being the medicine. Now, again, I'll bring myself into this. 
When we moved away from my family at four years old in Oklahoma and then started to travel, and my mom got super sick when we moved to Indiana at eight years old, any therapist worth their, worth their weight in salt, worth, worth, worth a grain of salt, would have been able to notice that I was already starting to exhibit um, control issues, emotional temper tantrums. Uh, I was very un- emotionally unintelligent. I tried to control the chaos, so I became very organized in my room. Everything was in a certain spot. I was very neat, very tidy. I had to control the chaos, right? This this never was diagnosed OCD, but it certainly began to show behaviors that of control. I needed to be in control. So as I got older and the control became so much, is it any wonder that as soon as alcohol touched my lips and I realized all of a sudden that need to control things in my head, was that switch was flipped, and all of a sudden it was like, oh my God. The freedom I've always been seeking was inside this bottle or inside this joint or at the end of this straw. No wonder. It is not your fault that you had trauma in your life, but it is your responsibility to heal it. One of the ways we're going to start to dive in over these next few episodes, and we're really going to make sure that we harness this these this understanding. And for those in my tribe, for those who've seen me speak before, for those in the hub, right, we're absolutely already in depth. I mean, anybody's, those of you who've been in my tribe for the last year, you have definitely heard us talk about this. For the rest of y'all who are interested, again, jessemogul.com forward slash the hub. I'd love to have you. Anyways, there's whole episodes about that. Oh, I just remembered I didn't respond to a text message. I got like a day or two ago. All right, random thought, squirreling again. Let's get it back into focus, Jesse. You got show notes here. So how do you talk to yourself? Because how you talk to yourself is part of the programming. It's why I told the gentleman tonight, instead of beating himself up over not knowing, I am learning. I chose the word learning because that was the word he used against himself. God, I've got to learn to do this. Right? I, I went with his words instead of against his words. This is how he was framing it, so I gave him a different way of framing it. If he would have said, oh, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, I'd have been like, well, I probably still would have gone with I am learning. <laughs> it's like you can't take somebody from I think I'm stupid to I think I'm smart. But you can slowly get them to begin to at least understand that they're learning. And this is what you're doing in your sobriety and recovery. You're learning. You grow and evolve and learn through application and evaluation. That's, I, I don't know how any more simple to lay it out. And for this gentleman at Dharma who, you know, plays uh, music and sometimes he has to go out to his car, he has to pattern interrupt himself out of this programming that says, I am in a bar, I am playing music, it's time to get drunk. So he goes out to his car and he pattern interrupts himself. We've talked about pattern interrupting before. We've talked about a lot of these topics before. You know, and it's, it's like this idea that the self-talk, how are you talking to yourself? Go back to episode 74. Amazing episode about that. And check it out. I'll put, I'll put a lot of these episodes that I'm going to reference into the show notes. All right. It's this, this idea that we're trying to compare ourselves to others. Episodes 17 through 18 talk about this. When we compare ourselves to others, we're, it's, it's the words we're using. They have more than me. I have less than them. They're prettier. I'm ugly. They're smarter. I'm stupid. It's whatever it is, right? When you're when you're doing a comparison, right? Even if you end up thinking you come out on top by comparing yourself to somebody else, you really came out on bottom because you compared yourself to somebody else. 
Do you automatically have negative thoughts whenever you think about what it is you can or cannot do? Go back to episode 87 and pay attention to ants, automatic negative thoughts. Because how you see yourself in your head is extremely important. Because when you look in the mirror, you're going to see the idolized version of yourself, and then you're going to see your actual self. Cognitive dissonance, episode 134. So today we're going to finish up this episode by talking about the words that we use. Because the words that you use towards yourself inside your head are extremely important. How you talk to yourself is extremely important. How you were talked to as a child is more than likely how you're talking to yourself now. Right? You could have seen somebody um, drinking all the time as a kid and decided drinking was the way to go. You could have also seen somebody drinking all the time as a kid and decided that drinking's not the way to go. One person like me saw it as permission. My brother saw it as a warning. He went one way, I went another. But it was the same, uh, the same stories were happening. The same kind of, well, he didn't see the behavior, but he certainly knew that our family had a rash of addiction running through it. And he chose to not drink till he was 21 and to be mindful of his drinking throughout his life. I saw it as permission and said, fuck you people. If you can do it, I can do it. And in fact, I'm going to do it better and crazier, and I'm going to amplify it. So the words that you use inside your own mind are absolutely the one of the first ways that you can begin to break the programming. The best way to immediately get a, a pattern interrupt to shift your programming when you feel it taking over toward the craving, right, toward, like, we, like I just read in the, uh, in the Dharma book, whenever it starts to talk about the untrained mind, the natural state of human consciousness has very little free will. We talk about free will, about freedom of choice, but without training the mind, we don't truly have the ability to choose. To train the mind, we want to begin to use our physiology, our body language, and we want to begin to to focus in on the words that we use. With the body language, super simple. If you feel yourself getting triggered, if you feel a craving coming on, if you feel angry, you've got a pattern to interrupt yourself. And one of the best ways to do it is to shift your body. If you're sitting down, stand up. If you're standing up, sit down. If you feel tight and wound and full of energy, do a bunch of jumping jacks. Right? Go out for a quick, brisk walk. Do some lunges. Do something that gets your muscles and your blood pumping. Right? You're, you're, it'll, it'll calm you down. If you're one of the people who gets super angry when you're standing up, then sit down do some breathing. There's a, I'm not great at, at meditation. I don't even want to judge myself at great or bad or desirable. Undesir- I just, when, when I feel in the moment and I'm breathing in deep, like today at Dharma, I could hear a bird chirping outside. So I just breathed in deep and listened for the bird. And I went into a great trance-like state and felt super, whew, like I get deep. Sometimes I wonder if I'm falling asleep, honestly. I can get so deep. Maybe, I'm, maybe I am falling asleep. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I hear the little bell, and it takes me a couple minutes to come out of it. It was awesome. There's no right or wrong way. I had, a, I had a meditation guru tell me that once. Like, dude, you can meditate while you're walking around in circles outside. Get yourself into like a state where you're just, you're sort of trancing yourself out and just, you know, seek to... So like don't even seek to necessarily empty your mind whenever you first start. Just seek to let the thoughts that come in float away. 
And that's where I started to teach my clients this idea that whenever a thought comes in, if it's undesirable, just simply motion, you know, in my, in your head, picture yourself motioning the thought over. Okay. What's going on? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. Awesome. You can get on the boat now. Right. And then I just picture the thought, you know, I give it a body, a life form, a color, a feeling, something like that. I teach all of this in my classes and in, in the hub, I'll be teaching it. And then you just walk them down the dock. You can get in the boat now. There goes the thought. And then you just push the boat and it just sails right down the river over the waterfall and it's gone. And I do this hundreds of times a day because <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts. We have 50,000 thoughts a day, guys. I mean, it's like, it's like monkeys jumping from tree to tree, branch to branch in there. And the thoughts that we keep recycling, a study once showed that if you have 50,000 thoughts a day, 45,000 of them are recycled. And I'd be hard pressed to say that it's not 49,499. <laughs> to me, I think we're lucky if we have 501 fresh thoughts a day. Honestly, it's just a just recycled hubba bubba in there. So is not to have this thing turn into a 45-minute rambling a diatribe of, of programming and thoughts and feelings and words. Let's get to the, let's get to the juicy stuff. Although I really think all of it so far has been pretty good. <laughs> Anyways, show notes, Jesse. So the words we use. This came up two weeks ago at Dharma about good, bad, right, wrong, stupid, smart, things like that, right? Certain words that you use are going to have a more um, more uh, positive or negative charge to them, right? I might say, wow, you're super smart, and you might have an undesirable feeling around that word smart. Maybe you were called smart as a kid, and then you got a bad grade, and you were told you were stupid. I don't know. Only you know. What words have a desirable versus undesirable charge in them? You're going to want to start to be self-aware. And this is what the Dharma passage I read today talks about, about the untrained mind. The, the trained mind is just in a state of self-awareness. It understands that 50,000 thoughts a day are going to come walking in front of it. And a majority of those should just exit stage right immediately. <laughs> Peace out thought. What's, what sucks is whenever it's the undesirable thoughts that begin to swirl, that begin to spiral, that begin to get screwed in, and we latch onto it, and then we just start to doom and gloom it. We talk about this in, uh, what episode was that? Uh, oh, the pain of using, well, the pain of using is greater than quitting. Episode 54 is super awesome. You should totally go back uh, and listen to that one. The Wise Mind, episode 33, you know, where we, we, we start to talk about um, this rational versus emotional mind, All right, You have the thinking mind, you have the emotional mind, and when we get them together, we get this wise mind behavior, right? The wise mind behavior realizes that you can think things and you can feel things, but if you're always feeling things or always thinking things, you're not behaving congruently. Our mind and our heart want to get together. Our gut wants to join into the party. It goes back to the disempowerment versus empowerment dynamic, and I don't have that episode down, um, so I'll, I'll find it and bring it up again later. But you're right, victim, villain, bully, or coach, creator, challenger. Right, You can start to see yourself as the challenger. You can say new choice when you find your programming leading you down a path that is not desirable. You can be self-aware and say new choice. I am not going to be a hero or the victim or the bully inside my own mind toward myself. I can be the coach. I can be the creator. 
I can be the challenger. But beating myself up and using words that have a negative charge isn't going to benefit you. All right, we talk a lot about this in Toward and Away Energy back in episode 57. When it's what energy you're using, are you trying to move towards something or are you trying to push yourself away from something? Good, bad, right, wrong, stupid, smart, fat, skinny, ugly, pretty, those have charges to them. Right? If you're if you're the 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 negative one, right? If you're fat or you know, if you think you're fat, you think you're stupid, you think you're hell, you could be skinny and hate being skinny. You could be smart and hate being smart because everybody makes fun of you for being a brainiac. Hell, I grew like thirteen inches in high school and everyone was calling me like ogre and green giant. Gumby was a nickname I had on my baseball team. I hated being tall when I was a sophomore in high school. Now I love it. I couldn't imagine being five six. But that's just because I've gotten used to this. If I was 5'6", then I would just be used to being 5'6". That would just be what I was. And I'd probably hate being short. For the longest time, I hated being tall. Right? Good, bad, right, wrong. <laughs> it's all judgment based on somebody's perspective. So locate with your self-awareness what words are sending you a charge. All right? Good, bad, right, wrong. Fat, stupid, skinny, dumb, all of these. And start thinking about better ways. And I'm going to give you three that I really like. And you've already heard me use one of them multiple times in this episode. Desirable, undesirable. I have programmed myself to say these for about the last two years. Specifically so that when I talked on this show about how words matter. I am an alcoholic versus I am an addict. Words matter. Oh, that's, that, was a, that was a good result. That was a bad result. Or was it desirable versus undesirable? I have been slowly but surely over 159 episodes programming you guys with more powerful, empowering words. I just keep repeating them over and over and over again, and I know that it's working because people in my tribe will use those words back at me without even consciously having to think about it. So I know it works. Hell, they've told me. You know what? I started saying this word instead. And look, boom, shakalaka, it worked. Two more sets of words I want to throw out here. Skillful, unskillful. This came up in Dharma as well, right? It's, it's, you know, am I good or bad at something? Well, I'm very skillful at talking on a microphone, at giving presentations. I'm way more succinct in the hub because I specifically created it to be more succinct so that you could watch a 15-minute video and get into the workbook and learn things and apply them and evaluate them. Right, the podcast is where I expand upon ideas and have these conversations that evoke empowerment inside of you. There, we take that empowerment a step further and we actually show you how to apply it, evaluate it, rinse, wash, repeat it. But getting up on stage, writing, designing, all the things I do for my career, are, I'm skillful at because of the amount of hours I put in. I have put in well over 20,000 hours on all of these skills. I wasn't born with these. This wasn't some sort of God-given talent to be really good on a microphone or really good writer. These are, it's like, oh, he, he was born to write. <laughs> I'm no more born to write than Beethoven was born to play the piano. If he hadn't had a piano around him, he probably would have picked up a, I don't know, a iron and a hammer and a blacksmith, you know, blacksmith thingy and been making great swords. Tiger Woods is no more born to play golf than if he, somebody would have handed him a different apparatus. Born with hand-eye coordination, that's extremely 
talented, sure. Right? Born with the ability to, you know, spring off the ground if you're a runner, sure. There might be certain postures and things that we develop over time. But to say somebody was born, oh, they were born to sing. Well, I know a lot of people who sing really well who haven't done anything with that. They sing really great in private or out of church, but they haven't necessarily turned it into a huge worldwide talent. Right? It's, it's, is it opportunity? Is it, is it, is it uh, potential? Who knows? But some people figure it out. Some people don't. Some people are skillful in certain things, and you're not skillful in other things. doesn't make you better or worse than anybody else. I know people who can cook like the Dickens. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And I'll watch what they do, and I can sort of match a mirror and model it. But will I ever cook as good as somebody who spent 10,000 hours in a kitchen refining that? Maybe if I put 10,000 hours into doing what they've done, they're extremely skillful at that, and I am less skilled. But it doesn't make anybody better or worse. I know you're going, you want to push back right now, don't you? You want to push back and say, Jesse, I'm, I'm skilled at baseball, but I'm not playing baseball professionally. I'm, I'm good at throwing a football, but I'm not playing on an NFL team. Okay, I will give you that. Maybe go back in time and have similar opportunities and similar focus and drive and hand-eye coordination and time and all this other stuff and devote your entire childhood to that one particular sport. And who knows? I honestly believe that we're all born with the same potential because we're humans and that that divineness lives inside of us. It's opportunity. We don't all have the same opportunities. And last but not least, we're going to throw out healthy, unhealthy, right? That food's bad. That food's gross. That food's disgusting. That food's poison. We can all pretty much agree that fast food's not delicious. Okay, wait. I'm sorry. That came out wrong. We can all pretty much agree that fast food is delicious, but it's not good for you. But saying something's not good for you, that sounds like a judgment word. And again, do you have a charge around good, bad? You have to discover that within yourself. But I'll tell you what, I'm starving. I don't have any food. I do not care if fast food's the only thing available. I mean, (laughs) zombie apocalypse goes down and I can find a 14-day-old cheeseburger in a backpack and I haven't eaten in two weeks. I'm eating that burger. (laughs) Because it's better than the roaches I was eating out from underneath the logs and the slugs I was pulling off plant leaves. Right, But we know it's not healthy. So there's healthy, unhealthy, there's skillful, unskillful, there's desirable, undesirable. And these are just the three I pulled out without wanting to go off into another 20 more minutes of a 38-minute show that was supposed to be 27 minutes. We are only as good as our programming. And an untrained mind is running unconsciously off the programming that was laid down into us as children. As we begin to step into our sobriety and our recovery journey, it is absolutely imperative that you step into the self-awareness of the words you say matter, that your body language matters. You want to shift yourself out of an undesirable state, emotional state. First, move your body, then change the way that you talk to yourself inside your head. You can think that it doesn't matter all you want, but I can assure you there's no way inside your own mind you're calling yourself stupid because you want to. There's no way inside your mind you're calling yourself a loser because you want to. You have done things that aren't desirable, but you're not a bad person. You have done things that other people have judged to be wrong behaviors. Sure, 
whatever you did to end up in jail, if you stole some money, if you, you know, you didn't take care of your children, you didn't take care of yourself, you were yelling and screaming, you were abusive towards other people, absolutely undesirable behavior. Let's not do that anymore. But holding on to the past and constantly circling back to who you were is not helping you. It's not. Once again, you are good. You are good. You've just done some things that weren't as desirable as you would have preferred. And those words are very specifically chosen. Go back to episode 143. You aren't what you've done, nor what you do. Go back and understand that your brain is ready to adapt to sobriety and recovery. Episode 30. Hell, go back to, again, I'll I'll bring it up again. Episode 17 through 18, the new you and the comparisons to the old you and other people. And if you're having automatic negative thoughts, right, episode 87, be mindful of why it is when you think something, it immediately leans negatively, undesirably. And then just say, new choice. New choice. I'll get out of here on this. Do you remember the story about how I used to say especially? It's the word especially, but with an X. Especially. When I moved my buddy Thomas Jordan into our apartment over on Hollywood Boulevard, I said especially a lot, like all the time. It was one of my favorite words. I like especially was my favorite word. Especially was not how I was supposed to be pronouncing it. And we did a lot of red carpet interviews, and I was on news, and I was doing sports media, and I was on camera a lot. And so over the next six months, he trained me to stop saying especially. By every time I said it, he would just repeat the word especially. I would repeat the word especially back to him, and we would just carry on with the conversation. There was no chastising. There was no making fun of me. There was no beating me up. There was no, hey, the next time you say that, I'm going to whack you in the head or I'm going to smack you on the hand. None of that. Just when I said especially, he'd say especially, I'd repeat especially, and over the course of six months, we trained that out. Now I say especially like I always, like I thought I always did. I tell you that story to let you know that it was through dedicated focus and discipline that every single time I said that word, even when he wasn't around, eventually I got to the point where I would just correct myself, especially, especially, and I would move forward. I did it on camera. No producers barked at me. Nobody got upset with me. They didn't even bring it up. I would say, especially, especially. And I'd literally, and I'd just repeat, and it worked. And it worked. I tell you this story, guys, because it's that kind of focus that got me to shift that one word. I spent years harnessing this ability to change my vocabulary. So I say things like desirable, undesirable. So I say things like healthy, unhealthy. So I say things like, I don't know how to do that yet. The power of yet. You can do it too. Bring it into your self-awareness. Understand that your mind is like this monkey swinging from tree to tree. It's untrained. It's been untrained. In fact, most of the world's population has an untrained mind. It's part of the human condition. It's part of just who we are. To just let our mind run amok, run wild, feed 50,000 thoughts to us a day, and just hope that we don't, I don't know, go bonkers at some point. (laughs) You inadvertently committed to uplevel your life when you chose sobriety and recovery. You can choose to ignore that at your own peril. 
But I can assure you, you have noticed how you've shifted, how you've changed, how your life has gotten better. How did it work with one area of your life? Great. Let's figure that out and then let's replicate it in other areas. If you can't measure something, then you can't replicate it. And if you can't replicate it, you can't practice it. And if you can't practice something, you cannot become skilled at it. It's all about measuring. How did you achieve it? Now let's figure that strategy out you used. Then let's replicate it to other areas of your life. And when you're ready to shift yourself out of an undesirable state, move your body differently and focus on your words. And that, my friends, is how you begin to move yourself from where you're at to the all the way up life you desire. A wise mind is merely one positive thought, one desirable thought away. As always, I honor you for spending this much time with me. I am so excited to be able to fill up 45 minutes with amazing, laughable content. I know, I swear to you, I swear to you, one day I'm going to get these things down. Uh, I don't know why I do that. Not one of you has ever complained about the length of these episodes. Uh, I have it in my head that it should be 30 minutes. But then uh, one of my coaches tells me that if I ever want to syndicate these on the radio, that they need to be about 45 minutes so they can slap commercials in them. So you guys know anybody who can syndicate this on the radio? That'd be super, super dope. Anyways, if you love this content, if you'd love to be more involved, if you'd like to be a member of the tribe, you want to know more information, jessemobile.com forward slash the hub. It is out there. Stand up. Stand up. Step forward. Raise your hand and I will call on you. It's time. Dive more into this. Right now, course number one in the hub is teaching you guys the basics of how your mind creates your reality in your head and how you filter all the information around you. It's like teaching you the alphabet so you can go off and begin to put your own words together in your head. It is, it is the foundation for how you create your life in your mind how we are being programmed, how we have programmed ourselves, how other people have programmed us, that's explained. I love this stuff. I hope that you love listening to it and enjoying it as much as I loved to share it with you. As always, you're growing and evolving through learning. Now, how can you take this information and apply it into your life right now? How can you apply better desirable, sorry about better, let's just go with desirable, how can you apply to more desirable ways of shifting your physiology and shifting your words inside your mind so that you can achieve a desirable state more frequently? Be aware. The untrained mind is just a bunch of monkeys jumping around from tree to tree. Are you ever going to calm them all down? Mm, Probably not. But it's going to be sure as hell one fun ride trying to do it. All right, my friends, as always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. See you next week. Bye-bye.